The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today, we are going to talk about the most amazing Marvel TV show ever, in my opinion, Daredevil 3. It was awesome. I agree. It was absolutely incredible. I am dying to watch it again and probably a few times after that. There's going to be a lot of spoilers in this show, so just be warned. So let's just get to the nitty gritty on this one. This season starts basically at the end of The Defenders, where Matt Murdock essentially had a building dropped on him. He starts the season as this extremely broken man. What does it say about this show that we see a hero this defeated and at his most vulnerable? To me, it was really inspiring because it shows that even a superhero can have broken bones, can lose sensory abilities, can go through trauma, can feel defeated. We all go through this. This is completely normal. And anybody who's been in any kind of natural disaster, you know, an earthquake or a hurricane, might experience something similar to what Matt Murdock went through in the beginning of the season when he was struggling to get his senses back. I think that for viewers, this can be really inspiring because they can see themselves represented to an extent. I know that many individuals who are visually impaired identify with Matt Murdock and After a while, we saw him having difficulties identifying spatial reasoning and struggling with spatial orientation because of his probably multiple concussions and injuries and even struggling walking for a while. I think that we don't see a lot of shows where superheroes are disabled in some kind of way or or another. And I think it means a lot to have a superhero that has some kind of difficulty with something. So I actually really appreciated that the first few episodes, we saw Matt Murdock struggling and he never fully regained function. There were, there were still some things he was struggling with, even throughout the, the rest of the episode. And I thought it was really inspirational because it shows that even if there are certain abilities that we lose, that does not preclude us from being superheroes. Well, you're saying that Matt Murdock losing his abilities is inspirational. Matt is also suffering from emotional demons brought on by his injuries. For the first time, the man without fear is afraid. How can this parallel what happens to people who have lost limbs or their own sensory abilities? I think that for a lot of people who lose function in some kind of way, whether it's an ability to walk or lose a limb, 
or some kind of a sensory ability such as the ability to see or smell or hear or individuals who lose functioning due to for example parkinson's or multiple sclerosis might initially go through an identity crisis because everything they used to be doing is now more challenging they have to adapt and do things differently i suffered willingly i gave my uh sweat and blood and skin without complaint because i, I too believed i was god's soldier <laughs> well not anymore i am what i do in the dark now i bleed only for myself you might hate god right now but the feeling is not mutual no i don't hate him i've just seen his true face is all and for the record i had friends i had a life care about people and I'm choosing to let them believe that I'm gone because I am and I know my truth now what truth well that in front of this god I'd rather die as the devil and live as Mount Murdoch I have a number of friends who had been diagnosed with MS and for a number of them the first year was extremely challenging in getting used to for example limited mobility or limited uh, time that they were able to spend in the sun for example or in the heat it was very challenging for them because anything that changes what we're able to do is understandably going to have an effect on how capable we feel physically but more importantly how able we feel emotionally and it can be extremely traumatic for some people to lose some kind of a function and ability and i really appreciated that the series showed how incredibly painful not physically but more so emotionally painful these transitions were for matt i mean matt lost his vision when he was a small child and he adapted to that by having these other sensory abilities that were heightened so when these reduced as a result of the explosion at the end of the defenders matt is now really struggling with finding his own identity because as an adult he's always been able to rely on his sensory processing it was interesting to see that he regained some of his function back but not all of it and i think for a lot of individuals with certain disorders they may never fully regain their function but they might learn to work around it and they might learn other ways of remaining the heroic self that they are despite some of these difficulties that they face and, and to me that's true heroism it's finding a way to keep going so he's dealing with this fear right how does wilson fisk use fear to gain power i think wilson fisk is very good at playing mind games and he's learned about what kind of things will make somebody vulnerable he's learned that for most people what makes them vulnerable are the people they love he actually knows that firsthand he loved his mother this was why he committed his very first murder which was killing his father when he was a child the story that we will print is her very detailed description of your father and how you murdered him a hammer at that age is there any part of you that isn't broken i wonder and because of his love for vanessa he's vulnerable learning that very quickly he makes sure that she's safe 
while taking control of the FBI and the police and all the major players in the city. He manipulates them by either threatening the members of their family or by making sure that they don't have certain funds that they need and then miraculously providing them with exactly what they're looking for. Fisk seems to strike for the very vulnerability that people have and for most individuals the thing that's most important to them, the thing that they're most afraid to lose are the people that they love. The showrunner Eric Olson says... You can only be free if you confront your fears because your fears are what enslave you. How do the characters in this show confront their fears? Well, that's a great question. I think some of them do, and some of them are constantly trying to run away from their fears, which makes them vulnerable and afraid every single day. The way that Nadim, for example, handles his fears is very different from the way that Special Agent Tammy Hatley handles her fears. Characters like Matt Murdock and Karen Page and Nadim show us that when we face our fears, then we're able to be more courageous than we ever thought was possible. I can tell you a secret, Wilson. Is it okay if I call you that? I feel like we know each other well enough by now. As you wish, Karen. Great. James Wesley. What was it like for you when he disappeared? Really, it's those, it's those first 24 hours that are, the, that are the worst, aren't they? When you call, and then you call, and you call, and you call, and there's just no answer. It becomes an obsession. The calling, the never-ending loop of a ghost's voicemail in your ear. You worry. You wonder, you swear, God damn it, if he's still living, I'm going to kill him myself. Is that what it was like for you? You rage at him because you thought he betrayed you? Because I wonder what would be worse for you, his duplicity or his death? He died quickly. If you were wondering didn't suffer much. You see, Wilson, Matt Murdock isn't the person you should be worried about. I killed Wesley. I shot him seven times because the clip ran out. He deserved more. But if we give in to our fears the way a number of characters do, giving in to Wilson Fisk's demands, the fear will continue to grow and haunt you and the threat will continue increasing. So it's kind of ironic that the more we try to run away from our fear, the greater our fear becomes. But when we stop, turn around and face our fear, that fear diminishes over time. You mentioned Nadim's journey in standing up the Fisk. The showrunner Eric Olson also said, Every single true human being on this planet is afraid of something. And the people who understand what you are afraid of and can use that against you can rise in power, can manipulate you to their own ends. But also, you can hold yourself back from your true nature and your own best self if you act out of fear. You are listening to the devil on your shoulder, not the angel on your shoulder. Psychologically speaking, 
what was it that Fisk was able to do to try to force Nadim into submission? And why didn't it work the way it worked with special agent in charge, Tammy Hatley? Well, I think that with Nadim, Fisk had been working him for several years, it seems. He made sure that Nadim's, I believe it was his sister-in-law, was denied health care coverage when she was going through her cancer treatment. Right. And in that, Nadim was financially strained and had a difficult time paying his mortgage and taking care of his family. Because of his financial history, he kept on not being advanced. And it's so interesting to me how Fisk realized that Nadim was such a good agent that he would be very difficult to bribe or threaten. I think Fisk realized that Nadim is such an honorable man who values his family and values his job and values doing the right thing that it would take a lot for him to fall. So Fisk created this genius plan, really, to try to entrap him. And this plan took years because in creating this financial situation, Nadim was really desperate to prove himself. And in not being able to advance on the job, Nadim fought for his promotion. And Fisk essentially handed it to him in creating this relationship between the two of them. So Nadim had learned to trust Fisk in a way and and rely on him for job promotion and also believed that he would be able to advance. Now, when he actually found out the truth, however, I think Fisk was probably surprised at the way that Nadim decided to handle things, which was very different from what Fisk anticipated. My name is Special Agent Ray Nadim of the FBI. And under federal law, I swear that the testimony I'm about to give is the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and should be considered my dying declaration. I'm guilty of a number of criminal acts, and I was in no way acting alone. Wilson Fisk coerced me and a number of fellow FBI agents into aiding and abetting a criminal conspiracy to extort protection money from New York crime organizations. I hand it to you, Fisk, you know how to put on a show. Agents Aranori, Johnson, Markham, Mokter, O'Connor, and Ramsey all took part and continue to act as Fisk's operatives under the orders of our boss, special agent in charge, Tammy Hatley. There may be others, I can't be sure, but I personally witnessed SAC Hatley murder Agent Wynn in her kitchen using my handgun. And then witnessed Fisk's aide, Felix Manning, remove the body and use this crime and threats against my family to blackmail me into cooperating with Fisk. I'm not making any excuses because I aided and abetted the worst crime of them all. I personally drove Special Agent Ben Poindexter to the Clinton Church, dressed in a fake daredevil suit. I knew at this point that Poindexter was the killer who attacked the bulletin. And I knew he was going to do something horrible at the church. But I let it happen anyway. So I'm guilty of aiding and abetting the murder of Father Paul Lantham. I'm ashamed of what I've done. But that doesn't change the fact that I and everyone I just named are guilty as hell. Seems. You need to get this video to my attorneys. 
don't try and run. Go to the FBI and pretend like you don't know anything about any of this. Tell them I'm a monster. It's the only way that you and Sammy can get through this. I'm sorry, baby. I will always love you. On the other hand, Tammy Hatley, unfortunately, she was unable to resist Fisk's influence. He already killed one of her children and he threatened to kill another. I think she was in a situation where she didn't feel like she had any power. She was so terrified of losing her other daughter that she was willing to do whatever Fisk told her for the fear of losing another child. What do we do next? First, we call you an ambulance. Put down the gun! Please! Tammy Ray, you bring this into my house, my home. Sit down. Sit. Your prints, your weapon, the recording. Do I need to explain to you what this means? Answer my question, please. Do you understand your situation? Ray, you get this? I think that some people, um, when they have that much power, as much power as Fisk does, unfortunately can literally get away with murder. I think that although... Agent Hatley didn't sound like she had too much of a choice. I think it's really admirable the way that Agent Nadine was able to stand up for what's right, even if it meant giving up his life to do it, even if it meant putting his family in danger to do it. This season was filled with past lies catching up to people. Why do you think Father Lantum and Sister Maggie lied to Matt Murdock? And how do you think that affected him and his belief system in God? I think that sometimes people assume that they need to lie or hide the truth in order to protect somebody. A lot of times that ends up not being the best solution. Matt is understandably angry at his mother for hiding the truth from him. She was so afraid that he wouldn't understand, but at a time when his father passed, Matt really needed a mother. He needed a parental figure. He needed to have family. I think that Father Lantum and Sister Maggie hid the truth because they thought it was the right thing to do. And for Sister Maggie, it was probably because she was afraid that he wouldn't understand and would get angry. But the truth is, because of their lies, he ended up missing out on some really important attachment time with his mother. And he ended up not receiving the nurturance that he so badly needed at that point. I think that we see this theme throughout this season, how hiding things ultimately ends up not working out, turning out tragically sometimes. So for Karen Page, for example, hiding her relationship and hiding her substance use ended up leading to the death of her brother. So sometimes in trying to protect other people, we might actually cause more damage. And I think in many situations, unless it would actually 
drastically impair a person's well-being, I think that telling the truth might be more helpful, even if it's a more difficult option. Speaking of dark pasts catching up to us, another interesting character with a dark past is Benjamin Dex Poindexter, who is essentially Bullseye, the main villain besides Fisk. In this series, his therapist actually diagnoses him with borderline personality disorder. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I didn't, of course, evaluate Dex in treatment, so it'd be very hard for me to diagnose him with certainty. There were some traits of borderline personality disorder that I saw in terms of he would take things very personally. He was very black and white in his thinking, as is also common in individuals with BPD. He was afraid of abandonment. He would get enraged if he thought people were leaving him, sometimes to the point of hurting himself or others. However, if that was the diagnosis that the show writers were trying to portray, I don't know that that was the only diagnosis that Dex might have had. I saw features of what might have looked like antisocial personality disorder. I know his therapist wrote borderline personality disorder with like psychopathy features, I believe it was. But she wrote that after he talked about killing his coach and killing animals. My only concern there was that individuals who might not be familiar with mental health might misunderstand and might think that individuals with borderline personality disorder might be dangerous or might be likely to cause severe harm to others. That's not often the case. What tends to be common in individuals with borderline personality disorder is that a lot of them might be very sensitive to rejection. And although some people with BPD might be violent, as might some people with just about any disorder, a lot of people with BPD aren't. So my only concern there was when we saw the therapist write down the potential diagnosis, I would have thought that when Dex was talking about having no remorse about his killings, that she would have kind of considered maybe antisocial personality disorder or something else. Without having seen Dexter in therapy, of course, I can't give him a formal diagnosis, but I would think that it's possible that he has multiple issues going on, not just BPD, if that's what he has, but maybe a number of other things as well. It was really interesting to me to see how Fisk grabbed all the recordings and actually visualized Dex's whole psychology. I mean, do you think he had some background in psychology? Fisk seems to be someone who understands how to use people's psychology as a resource. He seems to understand what makes people tick and what makes people want things and how to play on people's vulnerability. And he realized that because of Dex's background, that Dex would be somebody who would be devastated if he was rejected, which is why Fisk made it look like Dex's date had stood him up, but actually Fisk's people had killed her. He orchestrated fake messages rejecting Dex and then promised Dex that he would never abandon him, unlike everyone else. He played on Dex's vulnerability there and said the very thing that Dex so desperately needed at that moment, the feeling that he would not be abandoned again. Although it didn't look like Fisk had any 
training in psychology. I, I don't think he needed it. I think he's so well versed in what makes people vulnerable. That psychological warfare. Psychological yeah. warfare. That's right. He used it as a weapon to get his way. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like he has a lot of empathy. He only understands psychology in terms of how to use people and how to use their vulnerabilities to get what he needs. As we discussed in our last podcast, anyone can wear the mask. We see a lot of heroes stepping up in different ways in this series, like Karen and Foggy and certainly Nadim, and of course, Matt Murdock. What do you think this theme says about real life? I think that the show, much like some of the shows and movies that we've talked about in our previous episodes, show that anybody can be a hero. You don't even have to wear a mask. Karen Page never wears a mask, and she is an incredible hero, in my opinion. Anybody can stand up for what's right. Anybody can stand up for what they believe in, even when they're afraid, especially when they're afraid. Feels like half of Hell's Kitchen is here today. Say goodbye to Father Paul Lanton. Seems fair. He certainly welcomed everyone here, Catholic or not. And he expected those of us who were to uh, look for ways to do good in our community. Not even the kids got out of that requirement. I'm sure I'm not the only one who remembers his uh, suggestion that we give some of our First Communion money to the poor box. And that was his way. To think of the community and the, uh, and the individuals in it. To think in terms of what can I give he gave his life right here in this church, protecting others. Standing up to a man who used fear as a tool to set neighbors against one another. If Father Lantham had an enemy, I would say it was fear. For me personally, he spent many years trying to get me to face my own fears. To understand how they enslaved me, how they divided me from the people that I love. He counseled me to transcend my fears to be brave enough to forgive and see the possibilities of being a man without fear. That was his legacy. And now it's up to all of us to uh, live up to it. And for any of you who are listening, if ever you're afraid, if ever you feel uncertain of yourself, know that that is your moment of courage. That right now, in this moment, when you're doubting yourself, when you don't think you're good enough or smart enough or enough in some kind of way, know that this right now, this is your moment of courage. This is your invitation to take a step and do what you believe in anyway. This is you being a hero. I believe in you. I think that is a perfect place to end this episode again my name is dustin mcginnis you can find me on twitter at the valiant geek and i'm dr gina scarlet you can find me on twitter at shadow quill or you can check out our website superhero-therapy.com and please don't forget to like and subscribe take care everybody